Not long ago, everyone knew that you're either born a boy or a girl. Not anymore. The Biden administration is pushing radical gender experiments on children, changing their names, clothes, identities, and bodies. Joe Biden and his left-wing allies pushed boys to take estrogen to appear more feminine. They pushed girls to take testosterone so they grow facial hair. Biden and progressive leaders promote puberty blockers to keep kids from developing to normal men and women. These drugs can leave you sterile, infertile, impotent. Joe Biden and the new left even promote surgery on teens and young adults, removing breasts and genitals. They want boys in our daughters' bathrooms and sports teams. And now, the Biden administration is planning to issue new rules that would force doctors to prescribe dangerous drugs and worse. Tell Joe Biden and left-wing leaders across America, hands off our kids. Paid for by America First Legal. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. You are listening to the Huddle Up Podcast with Mile High Huddles, Chad Jensen, and Zach Kelberman. Freeman is back there, blocked by Leary, caught for the touchdown! A two-yard laser, Fumangali, from the University of Wisconsin. Third and goal of the one, Lindsey is in, Janovich the fullback. Janovich, hit, nice big hit there by Kendrick. He continues to dig, he's not, they call a touchdown! They call a touchdown on a one-yard jump inside. Trying to set up the screen to his tight end, Noah Fang. He's got some room to run. He cuts it back at the 10. Fang takes it in. Touchdown, Denver. The first NFL touchdown for the rookie tight end out of Iowa. Fang's on court. Touchdown, Cortland Sutton. His fifth career touchdown, but his first here in Denver. And now, here are Broncos Country's football priests to help you exorcise the demons of another doomed season. I am exorcise the demons. This house is clear. And everybody to another live edition, another live episode of the Huddle Up Podcast, presented by Overtime Media. I'm your host, Chad Jensen, and with me as always, my partner in crime. You know him, you love him as a lead NFL writer for Heavy.com. Also, columnist, which is coming very soon to MileHighHuddle.com. He is Zach Kelberman. Zach, it's been a couple of days since last you and I talked and since we had a chance to uh, engage with our great listening audience. But how you doing, bro? I'm I'm hanging in there, Chad. How about you? I'm doing well. I'm still trying to get a, a bead on what in the heck is going on with Juwan James. At least you it both. sounds as if, Zach, the Denver Broncos plan on playing him this week, come hell or high water. Vic Fangio wouldn't quite guarantee that he was going to play 100% of snaps, but that he is going to play. And if he plays, that means he'll start. The question is, you can't really worry about, is he? are you going to rotate him in? The question is, can you get him to play beyond 20 snaps before he goes down again? 
Right. That's it's nothing you can count on either. And uh, I would hope that he starts for fifty one million dollars, Shad. I hope he can pull his weight literally and figuratively. It's 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 exciting to see that the Broncos might have their full offensive line and it would help lock on paper, but we just can't count any sort of production from Juwan James. He's like the offensive line version of Jake Butt. Anything you get out of him is a bonus. There were some let's just call them tinfoil hat theories that were going on, some conspiracy theories. Uh, I think it actually stemmed, if I'm remembering this correctly, from an observation made by Orlando Franklin, former, of course, second-round pick of the Denver Broncos, played with the team through the 2014 season before moving on to play with the Chargers, and now he's retired and does radio. He has a show in the middle of the morning with Sandy Clough on 104.3 The Fan. I believe this came from his observation on game day against the Chargers during warmups, of course, Zach. Jawan James went out on the field and, you know, gave it a go to see if he could emotionally and uh, and mentally get in the right headspace to play. Jeez. And Orlando, I believe it was again, um, observed that his all of his warm-up drills and the technique he was playing coming out of like a, a the stance and the technique of what you'd see from a left tackle as opposed to a right tackle. For example, left tackles kick slide coming out of the stance. You know, you're leading with your left as opposed to on the right, you're leading with your right. And so it kind of created this conspiracy that maybe the Broncos, if he would have been good to go, Zach, he was going to be playing left tackle, which meant curtains for hmm. Garrett Bowles potentially. But Vic Fangio quashed that quickly on Wednesday and, and basically said that if he's going to be playing, it's going to be at right tackle. It's another way for the Broncos to protect Garrett Bowles for whatever reason and not subject him to a possible benching. But like I said, any way they can get him on the field, Chad, any way they can get Juwan James, a healthy Juwan James at right tackle, whatever, whatever position you're going to put him at, it's going to help the Broncos offense on paper. We just have to hope that he stays healthy because as you've mentioned, and as we've seen in Miami, he is a very injury prone guy and he's not going to put his body on the line. This is not a a consummate professional in that way. He's going to take his money and sit out and milk his injury just like he did with the Dolphins. And unless he's fully healthy and he's motivated, and what motivation does he have right now, Juwan James? He's missed most of the season. He got his big contract. I just don't know if he's going to get up for this game, but we can only hope that he's healthy because on paper that would help Drew Locke's, you know, his performance. We have a lot to get to in tonight's show. We're going to see what's on your guys' mind and and get to your questions. Let me just welcome in a few of you who've been hanging out in the room. Miss Christy, a consistent listener, big-time yes. supporter, one of our Super Chat superstars as well. What's up? Wanna Beast, what's going on? We're going to get to your question. Give me just a few. Um, Stu, what's up, my brother? Noble Young, all of you that are joining that's us live that's... here. On kind of a sleepy Wednesday evening in Broncos country, right smack dab in the middle of the week. It is hump day. we got a lot we're going to get to, but first, just a couple of quick matters of business. You guys, make sure you're following the show on Twitter, at HuddleUpPod, right there. That's the best way to keep your finger on the pulse of what's happening with the show in real time. And then don't forget to head on over to Apple Podcasts leave a creative review and a five-star rating on the show if you like what Zach and I are doing. And, of course, we always appreciate any uh, feedback and let us know how what, what kind of job you think we're doing for you here on the show. But that does two things. It's a great way to support the show organically, and it's also a way for you to get your uh, name in the hat, as it were, for our drawing, our giveaway, which we are going to announce tomorrow during the Mile High Mailbag, who the winners for November were. You get your review in. In the month of December, when we randomly draw a couple names out of the hat, you could be selected. We'll send you a hat. We'll send you a shirt. We'll send you something as the winner of that giveaway on Apple Podcasts. So take care of that business. 
This is the Overtime Podcast Network. I'm Sue Lin Wong, host of The Prince, a new podcast series from The Economist. It's about China's leader, Xi Jinping. He's the most powerful man in the world, but he remains a mystery. His story is hidden behind a brutal censorship and propaganda machine. After 10 years in charge, it looks like he'll break convention to stay on, perhaps for the rest of his life. I'll tell the real story of China's leader, the lessons he learned from watching his parents lose everything and from rising through the ranks of a vicious regime. Now, he's using those lessons to control over a billion people. He's changed China, he's changed my life, and the decisions he makes affect us all. To understand what's next, you need to know where he came from. Listen to The Prince from The Economist, wherever you get your podcasts. Not long ago, everyone knew that you're either born a boy or a girl. Not anymore. The Biden administration is pushing radical gender experiments on children, changing their names, clothes, identities, and bodies. Joe Biden and his left-wing allies pushed boys to take estrogen to appear more feminine. They pushed girls to take testosterone so they grow facial hair. Biden and progressive leaders promote puberty blockers to keep kids from developing to normal men and women. These drugs can leave you sterile, infertile, impotent. Joe Biden and the new left even promote surgery on teens and young adults, removing breasts and genitals. They want boys in our daughters' bathrooms and sports teams. And now, the Biden administration is planning to issue new rules that would force doctors to prescribe dangerous drugs and worse. Tell Joe Biden and left-wing leaders across America, hands off our kids. Paid for by America First Legal. All right, Zach. Really quickly, before we get to what's on the minds of some of our awesome listeners, got to say thank you really quickly to thank Ricky, you, Ricky jumping in with a $50 donation on Super Chat. That means a lot. That's yes. that's thank that's you. a big deal. Ricky, we really appreciate you. You have no idea how far that goes and what that means to us. So thank you so much. Um, but let's uh, let's get to what's on the minds of our, our great listeners today. And the comment stream's already heating up. So let me let me jump into this. Buona Beast, question of the day. Who was your least favorite Broncos player signed in free agency of all time? <laughs> I don't know. That's kind of taking it back a ways, Buona Beast. I'll I'll kind of just for the sake of conversation, Zach, let me let me specify this one. Who has been the worst free agent signing of the John Elway front office era in your mind? Uh, I wouldn't call it a signing. I would call it an acquisition. I will go with Flacco for that reason. I just, <laughs> I, I'm sorry. It's not a bias. I just think like after the Case Keenum disaster, why would you go for another Band-Aid quarterback who just got ran off in Baltimore for a guy who couldn't throw? So among those, uh, I mean, you could talk about Bryce Callahan. You could talk about Menelik Watson after failing with Donald Stevenson. He's made a lot of questionable moves, but I think quarterback, it starts and ends there. And to go after a guy, an immobile, 34-year-old guy like Joe Flacco and then paint him as a guy entering his prime. That was the move, I think, in the Elway era to me since I've been covering this team that just blew my mind in a bad way. It was definitely questionable. And you're looking at it now. I don't know if you saw, those of you who follow me on Twitter, I tweeted, uh, I quote tweeted this, but there is a clip. I can't 100% be sure it's Flacco. I think it's Flacco of a gif, a gif, however you pronounce it, G-I-F. Of Drew Locke celebrating following the win yeah. against the Chargers. He's still on the field, and you can see him just stoked running around. And as he's running one way, 
a, a dude in street clothes, Bronco street clothes, beanie on, bearded, tall, walks by him. And, and Locke, you can tell, is like trying to get his attention just in passing. And, you know, it goes kind of like hands up. And the dude totally doesn't even look at him. He doesn't acknowledge him, just keeps walking. And, yep. and Locke kind of pats him on the butt, just like completely unfazed. I'm pretty sure that was Joe Flacco in that mm-hmm. gym. You can go f- check my Twitter timeline. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Joe Flacco. I mean, he's on the hook. The Broncos are on the hook if they hold on to him next year, Zach, for over $20 million on the salary cap, which is just another reason why Broncos fans, you just got to be praying and hoping that in these last four games, Drew Locke continues to show progress and encourage this front office and coaching staff that he can be the guy that they can go into 2020 and say, look, this is the dude we're going to build around. And even if it's not, look, this is our guy for the next four or five years, this is our guy for 2020. Did you see, though, in that gift, the way uh, Flacco was just shuffling along? He can't even move normally. He moves like a 54-year-old guy. And I'm not making a personal insult to him or anything. It's just like you see the the juxtaposition of a young Broncos quarterback full of life, full of energy, almost like a little kid out there. Then you see this old man just kind of just shuffling through in his bathrobe and just angry and just unhappy. That's the <laughs> way I, I, I equivalent uh, Joe Flacco in this Broncos offense. He has no interest and no passion. Even now, there's no pressure on him to perform. Form, uh, he's still just unhappy and just apathetic to everything. So yeah, that give perfectly summarized uh, what he brings to the team or doesn't bring to the team. But yeah, I mean, Juwan James has to be up there in terms of free agency acquisitions. It's still pretty early. You know, we'll see how the story ends up playing out uh, for Juwan James. It's just his first year, but he just he simply hasn't done anything to refute the reputation or repudiate the the reputation he developed there in Miami as an injury milker. And the more I think about it, the more mystifying that becomes that the Broncos went in on him hook, line, and sinker because Chris Cooper was there, dude. Chris Cooper, who is now the assistant O-line coach under Mike Munchak in Denver, was in Miami as an assistant for the preceding, if I'm not mistaken, two years before he just barely joined the Broncos. So he got an up-close and personal look at Jawan James. You know, he was there to see how he conducted himself, how he battled or didn't battle through injury. And I would have to believe, Zach, that the Broncos went to him and said, hey, man, any red flags that we need to be aware of or anything? What, what's your recommendation on Jawan James as a free agent? And if they did, it sounds like Cooper rubber-stamped it. Yeah. And you know what, though? I mean, the Broncos kind of backed themselves into a corner. This is the result of not drafting offensive linemen, not developing any offensive linemen. And they were just so beat down from having the Stevensons and the Mental League Watsons and the Schofields out there. They had to overpay for a guy in Juwan James. He's a younger guy. Um, He has a, a very high ceiling when he's on the field. But the Broncos, as I wrote at the time, they overpaid for his potential. And what you do with that is you leave yourself open to spending a lot of money on something you're never going to get a return on your investment. And that's exactly what happened with Jawan James. They paid him $51 million, the yeah. richest contract for a right tackle at the time in NFL history. That just shows you how desperate the Broncos were to fix that offensive line. And when you make desperate moves, these are the type of things that can backfire. That's right. Here's an interesting comment from Jordan, which actually brings up something that Philip Lindsay spoke to today when he was at the podium. Jordan says, it seems like all of our number two receivers show flashes of greatness, but none of them can ever maintain it. It's frustrating to watch. Speaking of what we've seen this year from any number two, like post Emmanuel Sanders trade, Tim Patrick flashed a little bit in his first game back off injured reserve against the Vikings, but he's really disappeared in the last two games. He had a drop in the Drew Locke game and just hasn't played well. Deshaun Hamilton takes two steps forward and one step back. 
makes two tough catches in traffic, takes a couple of shots, and then on the wide open play, on third down no less, he drops it. And so, yeah, you just haven't seen anybody emerge. That's a fair point. And then Philip Lindsay spoke to this also on Wednesday that, you know, we need to see someone else step up to help take attention off of Cortland Sutton in the same way that Cortland Sutton last year and then, of course, early on this year was taking attention off of Emmanuel Sanders. Yeah, I was going to say, is this question, uh, you know, relegated to this year only because the Broncos had a great one-two punch in Sanders and Demarius Thomas. And even last year, they had Sutton, they had Sanders, and they had Deshaun Hamilton coming on. So in terms of this year, yeah, they really haven't had a consistent number two, especially after the Sanders trade. But then you have to look at the offense, chat. Three different starting quarterbacks, uh, different personnel combinations, inexperienced coaching, lackluster coaching in certain spots. It's tough to get a bunch of role players involved. You only have enough pie to go around pretty much for Philip Lindsay and Cortland Sutton. Anyone after that, it, it's really slim pickings there. So I can understand why in this transition year, there's no number two guy. We can only hope, though, that Deshaun Hamilton, at least specifically for him, kind of justifies his draft value because I don't know what happened, Chad. He took yeah. a major step back this season. Yeah, because when he was, that, especially that final quarter of last season with Case Keenum, Emmanuel Sanders was on injured reserve, and it was he and Sutton, and Patrick contributed as well, but Hamilton in particular in that final four games, I would argue, was really the most productive wide receiver the Broncos had, had a couple of touchdowns and did really well, and he just hasn't been able to get up to speed this year. It will be interesting to see what type of progress Jawan Winfrey makes next season. Yes. The Broncos will give him a bigger seat at the table. It'll be his second year. He'll have settled in. They'll trust him a little bit more. It'll be interesting to see if he can emerge. But, yeah, I mean – Another, as you spoke to there, Zach, just the way this offense is designed, you know, there's only so many targets to go around, but at the same time, you need some consistency and stability at the quarterback position and for, yeah. and everything that means, not the least of which is quarterbacks need to be able to form chemistry, not just with the number one receiver, but with the other receivers, right. give an opportunity for connections to emerge and big plays to happen. Uh, James jumping in, he says, I'm sorry, I don't have a donation. Xmas for my kids. You don't have to worry about oh, that. Okay. Good, James. We don't expect that from you. But can you give your input on why the Broncos stick with horrible players such as Michael Schofield and now Garrett Bowles? It makes Elway look incompetent. I think the one thing, Zach, that fans need to keep in mind as it relates, especially premium round draft picks, there's a few factors that go into why teams just continue to stand by them not the least of which is pride, all right, front offices and GMs. They don't like getting egg on their face. They don't like so evidently and obviously being proven wrong by the play of a failed draft pick, especially a premium round pick on the field. But also, like, let's just look at the in the case of Garrett Bowles. This was not only a first-round pick, but this was a guy who clearly showed at the combine. The reason he rocketed up draft boards was he had a phenomenal testing, uh, athletic testing in, at the combine, and it just – it you can see this guy has all kinds of talent. He really does. Right. You know, he's got, you could say, million-dollar talent, but he's got a nickel head. And the Broncos have, you know, they're, they're trying to see through the mental snafus and the, and the lapses on that side of things because of how much talent this kid possesses. And when he puts it all together, like against the Chargers, for example, he's a very good left tackle. The problem is the consistency factor. And, you know, that's why, like, at this stage, he's put together a couple of solid games now in a row. I, I mean, I guess against the, the Bills, he had some problems, but let's just use the Chargers game. He's got one game under his belt. His pattern up to this point, Zach, has been one, maybe two games where he, goes, he plays well, 
and then a big blow up game where right. it's a couple of holding penalties and allowing a sack or two. And, and so we just need stability, but that's why teams stick with these guys. They have something invested. I mean, those draft picks, especially premium round picks. And when I say premium rounds, James, I'm talking about rounds one through three. Michael Schofield was a third-round pick. Garrett Bolzak, a first-round pick. Yeah, a lot of NFL GMs want to justify their draft selections and get them on the field and really give them every opportunity before they have to pull the plug. But that's especially so for someone like John Elway, who everyone knows has a big ego. Everyone knows that ego kind of governs how he runs the team. But in the case of Bowles, week in and week out, he has hurt the Broncos' offense. Week in and week out, he's been the reason sometimes either don't score points or don't win ball games. He is a detriment just by being on the field. But that's also an Elway problem because he was forced to pick him. He didn't draft anyone else after him or put anyone else behind him. All his decisions among the offensive line in the last three years, Elway, have pretty much gone awry. I can't name one good OL move he's made. Even when it comes to um, not paying Matt Paradis, I would prefer the Broncos splurge for him. I can't think of one move, Chad. Can you? I mean, other than the the so far anyway, the drafting Dalton Reisner. Yeah, that's about it. That's the only thing he really has to hang his hat on. Connor McGovern has not been a bust. He's not been a failure. Ron Leary, for the most part, when he's been on the field, has been a plus contributor. But that's been highly. I mean, the, these the previous two seasons, his first two seasons in Denver. He got basically half of one year and not even quite half of the next. This year, he's been able to stay on the field, Zach, but especially that first half of the season, man, he was getting as many penalties as Garrett Bowles. Right. So, and part of that was he's just, he was out of the groove of playing. But yeah, I mean, the, your point, though, remains salient in that Elway's misses on the O line have been pretty striking, but it's also fair and worthwhile to mention that offensive line is a key issue plaguing. 32 out of 32 teams in the NFL right now. I mean, it's it's just the way that colleges coach nowadays. The focus is not on technique, on offensive lines. They O-line players, prospects, by the time they get to the NFL, with with very few exceptions, they're extremely raw. Players have, or teams in the pre-draft process, during the scouting process, they really have to project. And when it comes to scouting offensive line players and just really try and, and guess – on what this player can become and think, you know, if we get him with our coaches, what can he be as opposed to anything close to a finished product like it used to be. So it's not an issue that's going to be going away anytime soon. I don't think Zach, as far as the offensive line issues that plague the league and John Elway, you know, uh, apart from his own misses in free agency and, and the draft, he has not been, um, you know, that's, it's been a factor for him as well. Dylan and also Travis bring this up. Do you guys think Joe Flacco retires this offseason? Zach, I think it's a distinct possibility, but I'll believe it when I see it. Right. I, as long as the Broncos are paying him, as long as he, he's on the hook somewhere monetarily, I think he'll hang around in the NFL. But I don't really believe Flacco is a guy that's ruled by money. I don't think he's in it for another contract. I think he's accomplished enough. And this trade from the the Ravens to the Broncos, he really had no say in it. He was just dealt. He was a pawn piece, and he tried to give it a go. He tried to put on a brave face, tried being the operative word here, and yeah. it just didn't work out. So I can definitely see if the Broncos cut him or whatever, I, I could see him considering retirement. He's going to be 35. He were, he won a title. I mean, you 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 had your accolades. You had your time. He made a lot of money. Right. He's made $120 million in his playing career. That's enough. Go enjoy your rest of your life now. Get out of the NFL. So I can definitely see it happening this offseason. And your young family. I mean, right. five kids. These kids are all very young. And you want to be around. And I mean, you got a neck injury. Like You want to be around for your kids. You made a ton of money. I think at this stage, Flacco has to look at the writing and recognize the writing on the wall in that 
the NFL will probably continue to be an option for him. I'm sure he can find something out there. But henceforth, moving forward, in the NFL, if anyone signs him, it's to be the stopgap. It's to be the backup. Like no one, no one is signing Joe Flacco or trading for him. No one's trading for him. A, B. No one's signing him in the same way the Broncos did this year, with the unquestioned opportunity of being the guy going into a season. That ship has sailed. I mean, you can't go two and six as the twelfth year pro, former Super Bowl champion guy, and expect that the NFL is going to keep cranking out opportunities for you, especially, I mean, all you got to do is watch the tape. Yes. He was, he was playing behind a couple of really raw tackles who were not doing him any favors. And his coordinator was a first time coordinator that factors in, but just watch the tape, man. Joe Flacco was just cringeworthy, slow, scared with the ball, you know, didn't challenge defenses vertically. Didn't push, you know, there was no, there was competence and there was pre in terms of like, he knew that he knew the playbook. He knew how to command the the huddle and all that goes with the you know getting by the the base most um, common denominators that you need from a competent quarterback. But in terms of the it factor and having what it takes to really contend in today's NFL, he doesn't have it. Which is why Zach, if I'm you know if I'm Joe Flacco, barring some you know out of this world offer from one of the other teams. You know, I'm, I'm considering hanging it up because I made a ton of money and I, you know, I'm not going to live forever in my my neck now and all the issues. Yeah. I would consider it. I, only the Broncos are stupid enough to trade for a 34-year-old Flacco. I mean, like you said, it's not happening this offseason. If he gets another job in the NFL, it'll be like a backup mentor role to a younger quarterback. And even then, he has to wait. Do I really want to do that? Do I really want to go through the grind of practices and training camp, the offseason, whatever, just to hang around for another year? So if he's honest with himself and if he looks at the tape and kind of gives a fair assessment of how he played, I would walk away if I was him. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Not long ago, everyone knew that you're either born a boy or a girl. Not anymore. The Biden administration is pushing radical gender experiments on children, changing their names, clothes, identities, and bodies. Joe Biden and his left-wing allies pushed boys to take estrogen to appear more feminine. They pushed girls to take testosterone so they grow facial hair. Biden and progressive leaders promote puberty blockers to keep kids from developing to normal men and women. These drugs can leave you sterile, infertile, impotent. Joe Biden and the new left even promote surgery on teens and young adults, removing breasts and genitals. They want boys in our daughters' bathrooms and sports teams. And now, the Biden administration is planning to issue new rules that would force doctors to prescribe dangerous drugs and worse. Tell Joe Biden and left-wing leaders across America, hands off our kids. Paid for by America First Legal. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Our super chat superstar, Thank Stu you, McPeak, Stu. jumping Clutches in with a five dollar donation. Man, you are you are awesome, brother. We appreciate that so much. No question from Stu there, but I'll keep an eye out for any questions in the stream from you. Here's a good one, Zach from Nevets four four three three. He says, "What would your preference be?" This is a good question for Broncos fans to ponder. Winning out 
what would your preference be? Winning out to build culture at the expense of draft position or accepting some losses and mm. risking locking the team's confidence, but Good question. gaining higher position, maximizing draft position. What What's your answer there? Oh, that's tough. Uh, God, I, I would want the Broncos to, I think, to preserve Locke's confidence more than anything else. I think that he's the, the, the secret and the key to the future is Drew Locke. So if they can win some ball games and he gets better as the Broncos go along, I'm okay with them finishing in the 12 to 15 draft pick range. I would prefer a top 10 pick, but I think Drew Locke is by far and away the biggest key to this organization. And they're not going to take a quarterback more than likely. Um, they might not even get an offensive lineman depending on where they sit in the top 10. So if I have to lean a certain way, I don't think losing would would help Drew Locke's confidence. I don't think it would help anyone's confidence or uh, inspiration for next season. So if you put a gun in my head, as much as I don't like the idea of winning meaningless games, I got to preserve Locke's confidence. I got to build him up as much as possible. I know our, our draft guys at Mile High Huddle, Nick and Eric and Carl and Lance, all those guys right now are probably cringing because they're saying, no, get the best draft position possible. But I agree with you. I think at this stage, what's more important is not just the confidence of the young quarterback, but the confidence of the team coming together, coalescing around the young quarterback, forging an identity around that, and seeing some some success, some results, some fruits from their labor. That's a great point you bring up, Nevets, and I think that it's something that, you know, a couple weeks ago before they inserted Drew Locke when it was still Brandon Allen, I probably would have been more inclined at that point to say, you know, if the Broncos keep playing Brandon Allen the rest of the year, yeah, please tank. Yeah, I'm get, with you on Get that. as high as you possibly yeah. can. But there's some value to, you know, if the Broncos defy the odds and come anywhere close at this stage to 500, I mean, this town is going to be buzzing about Drew Locke and what the future could hold. And there, that could bring some real benefits and some real power that this team could harness and really try and, you know, push it forward in, into the future. So very interesting question and one that I think fans should uh, definitely ponder as we get deeper into the end of this season, this final quarter down the stretch. Now, here's one from Jester Triple Sevens. He says, how do you guys feel about using Deontay Spencer more as a wide receiver? Zach, he is... You know, they've, they've flirted with the idea. He actually started, uh, was it the Vikings game? He started as the, the second wide receiver. It was his first career start. They flirted with the Broncos, putting him in and off on offense. They've used him more as a gadget guy, you know, jet sweeps, pre, pre-snap motion, get the defense's eyes moving a little bit. But as a receiver, we haven't really seen him be used yet. I don't, I mean, all I can really judge, Zach, is that he can field a punt. And right. if he can field a punt in the face of the kind of pressure that's bearing down on you as a punt returner, I can only assume that he can catch a pass in traffic and that he can do that. And then after, after he makes the the catch, we've seen, he's got some twitch. I mean, he's done well. The Broncos finally found a punt returner who, finally. who brings something to the table. So yeah, I mean, it'd be interesting to see him garner more of an opportunity within the offense, but it's one of those things, Zach, where yes, they need a, a number two to emerge, I don't think he's necessarily the guy who fits the bill as the most likely to necessarily fill that need. I'm with you there, and kind of tack on the point I made earlier about the wide receivers. They might not have a number two, but they really don't have a speedster, Chad. They really haven't had one all season. A guy that could just take the top off a of defense, that was supposed to be, I guess, Emmanuel Sanders and Brendan Langley early on, but they don't really have a true speed threat. I didn't care about that before with Brandon Allen because his arm strength isn't great, but with a guy like Drew Locke, who is going to get more comfortable, more confident in the pocket. He has a big arm. 
I don't see it as a as a bad thing to give Spencer some reps, have him run, run some nine routes down the field, use his speed, see what you got there. They don't have the number two of the future on the roster, but you never know what you can harness, especially since Tim Patrick, Deshaun Hamilton, Jawan Winfrey, these guys aren't stepping up and taking hold of that number two spot. So I, I would give him a few shots. I wouldn't make him a starter, but run him down the field a few times, see if he can catch a pass uh, deep from Drew Locke. Jordan brings up a good point, piggybacking off what we were talking about earlier with Flacco. He says, we thought no one would trade for Keenum. All it takes is for a dysfunctional organization to do something stupid as as it relates to possibly being able to trade Joe Flacco. You can't rule it out. And there's some other comments here in the stream about who walks away from $20 million. Nobody does. Flacco's not going to retire unless he has – unless the Broncos – you know, if they cut him, which they will, that's going to happen. Once the, he gets cut, that's where the decision point comes. Like, okay, do I – do I hang it up or do I – I think he'll explore Zach options in terms of seeing what kind of interest for him is out there amongst the other 30 teams in the league. But I'm just not uh, – you know, even though Jordan brings up a point, no one thought that Keenum would be able to be traded. I just don't think he's going to find many takers willing to pay him what he's accustomed to making. I was going to say, you know, to counter this point, there's only one Washington Redskins organization. There's only one true level of dysfunction. Uh, only one owner stupid enough to take on uh, a veteran quarterback like Keenum in a trade. So, yeah, they're not going to go. And even they drafted a young quarterback. Even they see the way the league is trending in that direction. Even they know you can't put a bandit at the position. You have to go with a youth movement and you have to get a young guy in there. So it's not going to happen. If he plays for a new team, it's because the Broncos cut him and he re-signed somewhere at a much, much, much cheaper rate. Andy says, do you guys think the Broncos will finally improve a quarterback and expand Locke's playbook or once again, hold back like other team, other times in the team's history? Well, as it relates to expanding the playbook, Fangio kind of spoke to that today and said that Locke's debut gave him the encouragement to give him more opportunities in terms of trying additional things that are in the playbook that maybe they weren't really making available to him in his debut. But I think really what Andy's speaking to here is, are they going to try and structure the offense more around what Locke's strong suits are and his his traits, or are they going to try and fit a round peg in a square hole, et cetera? I think it's going to be more of trying to fit him into the system. However, Scangarello has shown, or at least he's been a part of coaching staffs in the past, who have done a good job of blending both things, the traits of a quarterback with the offense that the Broncos are trying to employ here, which is kind of the newfangled West Coast offense, Shanahan version of the West Coast offense. I just hate when teams force players to adapt to the playbook and not the other way around. I wanted to force the playbook to adapt to the player. So the Broncos were running a Flacco offense. They were running a Brandon Allen offense. That wasn't a Drew Locke offense. There's certain plays that only he can make. There's only certain throws that only he can make. And I feel like Scangarello, not to make excuses, was a little hamstrung in that department. But now he had his first start, Drew Locke. He had some of the rush shaken off now. And like we talked about before the pod last week, before the game, once you have one game, just one game on film, you see what he can do in, in four quarters of play. Then you feel more comfortable. Then you feel more confident. Then you open up the playbook more, more downfield passes, more bootlegs, some RPOs, things to take advantage of Locke's abilities. But that comes down to Scangarello. Is he going to go conservative? He goes into a shell. It's, is it a Scangarello problem or a quarterback problem? You know, before right. we thought it was Flacco. Now I'm going to be the play calling. Yeah. I mean, I have increasingly become more critical and skeptical of Rich Scangarello as time's gone on. Same. You know, as a as a when he's on script in the first quarter, especially, and he's running that fifteen to twenty plays that are pre-scripted before the game, 
he those plays work. And so we know that Scangarello's offense can work in this league. Okay. Yeah. Look at what I mean, even in Drew Locke's debut, few people expected the Broncos so quickly to put up 14 points in the first quarter like they did. And big plays too, man. There were some big plays early on. Scangarello's offense can work. The question is once he it goes off script. The team, the opponent adjusts in game. He has really struggled, especially coming out of halftime, to counter adjust to that. And Fangio chalked it up to, well, hey, man, you know, you guys are complaining about us being conservative in the second half offensively. If we convert that third and one, or if we convert the third and two that, that we didn't, you're singing a different tune. And while that's true, it doesn't really address the real issue, which is why aren't you converting those? I mean, the Broncos right, right now, you guys, they are ranked 30th in the league on third down. And that actually corresponds as well, Zach, to their points. They're ranked 30th in the league in points right now, scoring. They're averaging 16 and a half points per game under Scangarello. And it hasn't been exactly, you know, uh, a breeze. He He's had three different starting quarterbacks, and that's going to be hard on any offensive coordinator. But the trend is he, he does well on the scripted aspect. The offense does well, produces yards and points. Second half, when he has to go off script, coming out of halftime, this is there's only a couple of exceptions throughout the entire season. The trend is the Broncos offense, and even Philip Lindsay spoke to it today, goes off a cliff about the third quarter. So that's where, as a as an offensive coordinator, Zach, I would really want to see Scangarello focus in on third down. Like he really needs to start figuring out how he can be more prolific and productive on the money down because therein lies the key to sustaining drives. It comes down to play selection also. I mean, how many times have we seen a Lindsey run outside or inside or a Freeman run outside? It's just in terms of knowing what your personnel does best. And I think, like I said, after have so many quarterbacks, Flacco wasn't the ideal guy for him. Brandon Allen wasn't the ideal guy. He finally got his guy in there and drew lock. But yeah, it comes down to third down. It's how you win in the NFL. And it's, it, to me, it's play selection. It's not going conservative, not playing scared, not playing not to lose. You have to play for the kill shot always. You have to play aggressive always. I would rather the Broncos lose a game or create a turnover, throw an interception by taking chances down the field, by being aggressive. No one likes a, ver- a horizontal offense. No one likes east and west. I want to see north-south. I want to see some aggression. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Not long ago, everyone knew that you're either born a boy or a girl. Not anymore. The Biden administration is pushing radical gender experiments on children, changing their names, clothes, identities, and bodies. Joe Biden and his left-wing allies pushed boys to take estrogen to appear more feminine. They pushed girls to take testosterone so they grow facial hair. Biden and progressive leaders promote puberty blockers to keep kids from developing to normal men and women. These drugs can leave you sterile, infertile, impotent. Joe Biden and the new left even promote surgery on teens and young adults, removing breasts and genitals. They want boys in our daughters' bathrooms and sports teams. And now, the Biden administration is planning to issue new rules that would force doctors to prescribe dangerous drugs and worse. Tell Joe Biden and left-wing leaders across America, hands off our kids. Paid for by America First Legal. Not long ago, everyone knew that you're either born a boy or a girl. Not anymore. The Biden administration is pushing radical gender experiments on children, changing their names, clothes, identities, and bodies. Joe Biden and his left-wing allies pushed boys to take estrogen to appear more feminine. They pushed girls to take testosterone so they grow facial hair. 
Biden and progressive leaders promote puberty blockers to keep kids from developing to normal men and women. These drugs can leave you sterile, infertile, impotent. Joe Biden and the new left even promote surgery on teens and young adults, removing breasts and genitals. They want boys in our daughters' bathrooms and sports teams. And now, the Biden administration is planning to issue new rules that would force doctors to prescribe dangerous drugs and worse. Tell Joe Biden and left-wing leaders across America, hands off our kids. Paid for by America First Legal. John, by the way, we just saw your question. We're going to grab you just one second. I want to address this real quick, what Buona Beast brought up. He says, what are your thoughts on Royce Freeman's gameplay considering Eric Trickle's video and his article on Mile High Huddle? So for those of you who might have missed it, Eric published an article in a video, I think it was yesterday on Tuesday, that was critical of Royce Freeman basically saying that he is failing the Broncos offense, that the Broncos have a similar problem at running back as they do at wide receiver in that they have a great number one guy but that it's very top heavy. And that number one guy is not being complimented well by the supporting guys on the depth chart. And I think there's some truth to that. And as it regards Royce Freeman, he, I mean, before he got hurt as a rookie, let's say that first seven, eight weeks of his rookie season in 2018, man, he was dynamic. He was a dynamic player. He scored five touchdowns in that first eight games. If I'm not mistaken, he was, he was playing well and his average, especially after contact was, was healthy this year. I haven't been as impressed with him. I might not be as down or, or um, you know, pessimistic on him as, as Eric is, but I think it's fair to criticize Freeman at this stage, Zach. It is, but again, it comes down to play selection, Chad. When you run the guy outside, when you give him Philip Lindsay-type plays, it's just not conducive to success. You have to batter him inside. You have to, He has to be the early down bowling ball, like a C.J. Anderson type. That's what I thought he would be is Royce Freeman. As C.J. Anderson is wear down the defense for Philip Lindsay, you know, the body shots, and then go for the knockout blow with Lindsay in the fourth quarter. It's the perfect one-two punch. I just don't think Scangarello has used his personnel to his benefit. I don't think he's using both running backs the way he should. Um, neither has really thrived this year. Lindsay took a step back. Freeman took a step back. And that, to me, is a product of the coaching and the play calling. Now, John here says... He jumps in with a $5 donation. Thank, Thank you, my you, brother. We really appreciate it. He says, do you think Garrett Bowles will be successful at guard with how aggressive he is and we can take a tackle in the draft or is he a lost cause? Zach, and by the way, we got time for one or two more then we got to get out of here for this evening. I don't think Garrett Bowles is a lost cause per se. I think at this stage, barring him, like basically in less than these last four games, or I should say the ensuing four games, the final four games of this year, unless he plays in those games like he did against the Chargers in week 13, the Broncos simply don't have they, – they have to find another option to start a left tackle. That doesn't mean you give up on Bowles. It just means he's your swing guy for one more year, and then maybe you consider bringing him back on another deal, see if he continues to grow and mature. I don't think he's a lost cause. I'm amenable to the idea of playing him inside at guard. I don't necessarily think he would be any better or less. His issues are, are lapses in discipline right. as it relates to his technique. And that's not going to change outside or inside, in my opinion. In fact, it could increase it inside. I don't know. But I, he's not a lost cause. You just can't hinge your – you can't plan your offense and the and the well-being of your young quarterback around right now, Garrett Bowles, as far as projecting into the future, being the blindside protector. I'm with you. He's not a lost cause, but I do think he's a lost cause as a Broncos starter. I think he's a lost cause as the Broncos starting left tackle. He's just proven that for three years in a row now, he's not the guy. He's getting worse with the best OL coach in the business 
at his disposal, and he's getting worse, committing penalties and holding and just killing the Broncos' offense. It's not always a a foolproof solution to just move a guy to guard or move him inside or outside. He, Like you said, Chad, his problems go well beyond the position he plays. He has attitude issues, mental issues in terms of playing the game, uh, technique issues. Those are things that can't be corrected if he just moves inside. I think it would benefit him. Um, a little bit because he doesn't have to open his stance so much. He doesn't have to be on an island one-on-one versus good pass rushers. But I just think he's a lost cause as a Broncos starter. He's proven that. It's not just an opinion. I think it's fact. Um, and while I'm on this, sharing the screen, Zach, let me go ahead and this will be the last thing that we'll get out of here for tonight. Let me kind of showcase here to our listeners the task. I don't. It might not be lost on anybody, but – really what the Broncos are facing here, especially going against this Texans offense. You can see if it's in the green, that represents a statistic that is in the top 10 in the NFL. If it's in the red, it's in the bottom 10. And if it's in the black, it's basically middle tier. The Texans are the ninth ranked total offense. They are the fifth ranked by yards per play. They, as a scoring offense, they are ranked 10th, averaging 24.4 compared to Denver's 16.5. Across the board, with only a few exceptions, I mean, look down at third down percentage, 45%, almost 46%. They're fourth in the NFL. Red zone percentage, they're converting 65%. So Vic Fangio is, aside from maybe the Kansas City Chiefs, Zach, this might be Vic Fangio's next stiffest test in terms of coming up with a way to slow these guys down. This game is not going to be easy for the Broncos to win. I mean, it's not playing Phillip Rivers at age whatever, you know, breaking down, obviously. Deshaun Watson is just not even entering his prime yet. He's a quarterback the Broncos traditionally struggle with in that he's a dual-threat guy. He can run, he can pass. A lot of speed on that offense. I can easily see Hopkins or Will Fuller just toasting Chris Harris Jr. in coverage. This is not going to be an easy game for the Broncos to win. But if uh, Fangio can keep it close, if he can limit that offense, if he can create some turnovers, get some sacks, that will be, to me, a job well done. Jason Cole jumping in with a $3 donation on Super Chat. Appreciate you, my friend. Goes a long way. Jordan here, and then uh, we got to get out of here for tonight, you guys. He says, is Jawan Winfrey not seeing the field? Does he not have enough speed or something else? In the preseason, it looked as though we found a gem. Is this the Broncos, again, not realizing what they have? Zach, more than anything, because he is on the 53, he's not on the practice squad. Juwan Winfrey is a healthy scratch week in, week out. I think this is more than anything the case of a, a good example, anyway, of NFL coaches. They are allergic to playing rookies unless they have no effing choice. choice. Okay. <laughs> they, they do not like playing rookies because each game, NFL coaches, position coaches, all the way up to coordinators and head coaches, man. Every single game can determine whether or not you have to move your entire family to another NFL city that next year. And so for players, you know, teams are a lot more patient. They have them on a rookie contract in most cases, especially if they're a draft pick or a free agent acquisition. The team's going to show patience commensurate to whatever the term of that contract is. With coaches, man, they are they are judged much more in the moment and they don't have as much time from a body of work perspective to ply their wares. And so it goes without saying, because of that, they are, they just don't like playing rookies. And even though the Broncos, you know, they don't have a number two that has, you know, stormed onto the scene, the coaches, and it's led by wide receivers coach Zach Azani, they're very comfortable and confident in Tim Patrick and uh, Deshaun Hamilton in at least knowing the offense and maybe not going out there and screwing anything up, even though you see Deshaun Hamilton drop one, you even see Tim Patrick drop one, which it wasn't a perfect pass, the Tim Patrick drop from Drew Locke, but he did drop it. And 
So I think that's a big part of it. Juwan Winfrey, barring injury up the chain, up the death chart, he's he's just going to be a 2020 right. uh, type of, of case. I mean, even though the Broncos traded up for him in the draft, he was always a project-type player. He was always almost in the same boat as a Noah fan, a guy for 2020 and beyond. Maybe he's not showing well in practice. Maybe he's struggling with the mental aspect of the game. Maybe he's just not catching on as quickly. But the Broncos felt like, and, and to their credit, they had Cortland Sutton, they had Emmanuel Sanders, they had a Tim Patrick, they had Deshaun Hamilton. Why do we need to rush this guy for and potentially ruin his development or ruin his confidence, whatever? Like you said, it's it's... Teams are usually have an aversion to playing rookie players that don't need to play right away. So the fact that he's raw coming out of college, someone mentioned in the comments that he, he couldn't even get on the field at Colorado. I mean, that was always a thing with him. He was always a raw player. He wasn't a day one contributor. It's going to take some time, but I feel like between the Broncos not having a number two and, and just giving him an opportunity next year, he'll show more of his ability, I think, hopefully, with uh, more confidence in his game. Jason Cole jumping in with a $2 donation on Super Chat. He says... Drew Locke needs more toys, CD, 2020, and it might shake out that way. Like I said, I mean, I wouldn't be opposed to the Broncos taking CD. I wouldn't be opposed to Chenault from Colorado, or I wouldn't be opposed to them taking a wide receiver, depending on where it's at. You know, if they end up drafting somewhere between where they are now, which is 11, to 15, 16, 17, I don't know. Depending on where they're at, what if they can get one of the elite wide receivers in this class, I'd be – I mean, it's one of the team's needs. They do need – an option to help take pressure off of Cortland Sutton. I'm not opposed to that, Zach. I wouldn't hate it, but I wouldn't love it either. It's a luxury pick for the Broncos to make, considering they just took a tight end in the first round uh, this past year. So they really have to think long and hard about their priorities in the offseason. To me, a, a wide receiver, as good as this class can be, does not trump a tackle, potentially a franchise left tackle. They have to go for that position first. You can even argue they should take a cornerback before they take another wide receiver. So it's a luxury pick. If they want to go all in on Drew Locke, I would build up his weapons and his supporting cast, but they have other fish to fry at other spots, and they would do him a big, big favor by getting him a guy that's not Garrett Bowles on his blind side. All right, last one, and it's a makeup question here from one of our Super Chat donators, uh, donors, I should say, from uh, the last pod, MJA2873. We somehow missed you on the stream going up and down in the moment. Apologize for that. We're going to grab your question right now. I can't show it to you guys, but it says MJA2873. Question, do you think the Broncos should go after head coach Jim Harbaugh from Michigan if he gets fired? Zach, is there any reason, I mean, even if the Broncos lose the remaining four games, which I doubt, I think they're probably going to go two and two in these remaining four games. But even if they did, do you see the Broncos firing Vic Fangio for a guy like Jim Harbaugh? No, I again, if, if Vance Joseph got two years, why would not Vic Fangio get the same amount of leeway, if not more than that? He's shown more, I think, in his coaching tenure than Vance ever showed. So there's no possible way, unless there's some major scandal going on in the Broncos' front office, there's no possible way Fangio gets his walking papers. And even if he did, I don't want Jim Harbaugh. This is a guy who belongs in college. Might not be Michigan, but he belongs somewhere where he can use that rah-rah spirit. He can be a good recruiter. That doesn't fly in the NFL. That's not what they need. They needed a guy like Vic Fangio to come in, set a new culture, a new precedent, kind of be a, a kind of be a, a hard ass on them a little bit. And they mm-hmm. don't need a guy who's going to sue them and be a club med environment like Jim Harbaugh would bring. But no way is he getting fired, nor should he after only one year. By the way, one last thing I want to impart on our listeners before we get out of here. I thought this was really cool. From Drew Locke's presser today, he was asked, you know, which text messages or social media messages that he received stood out the most to him after his first career win on on Sunday. Here's what he said, quote, 
I would say probably Archie Manning saying, quote, you can't win them all if you don't win your first. Hmm. That gave me a good giggle and gave me a good laugh. He's so right. You can't win them all if you don't win your first. It was pretty cool to get, get a text from him and Peyton as well. Yeah. Being able to hear from those guys meant a lot, which it's really cool and encouraging to hear the Manning family closing ranks around a young Drew Locke who they know because not only the fact that he's the starter in Denver now, but he attended one of their passing camps back in the day. So really cool to see them supporting the the guy that the team at least hopes is the future of the position. Yeah, it, it's easily obvious that Drew Locke is the most exciting quarterback to be in Denver since Manning hung up his cleats. And to, to get that recognition from the Manning family, it doesn't mean a whole lot in the grand scheme of things, but it just gives more positive publicity to the Broncos at a position where they've had so little of it the last couple of years. All these outside analysts and media guys are all complimenting the Broncos for how Drew Locke played, and they're, they're thinking that they have a, a nice young quarterback on their hands. So it's just a nice little thing to hear. And like you said, it's a great quote that he shared with the public. All right, you guys, thank you for joining us tonight. Again, kind of a sleepy hump day in Broncos country right in the middle of the week on this live episode of the Huddle Up podcast. As always, a great conversation. Thanks to you guys joining us and giving us the questions. And you allow your football priest to help you exercise the demons, and we love doing it. It's so much fun. We look forward to these podcasts each and every day. But, you guys, that's got to do it for today. Make sure you're following the show on Twitter at Huddle Up Pod. That's the best way to stay in touch. Keep your finger on the pulse of what's happening with the show in real time. And then don't forget to find my partner, Zach Kelberman, on Twitter, at Kelberman NFL, myself, at Chad and Jensen. And stay tuned because we will be back in the saddle same time tomorrow night, 6 p.m. Mountain, 8 p.m. Eastern, for the last Huddle Up podcast of this week, the Mile High Mailbag. So have your questions ready tomorrow. We're going to hear from Rich Scangarello, his weekly presser. I'm going to be paying close attention to what he says in that one because, you know, he's really starting to feel the pressure. I mean, internally, externally, the questions are mounting surrounding Rich Scangarello. And if he doesn't start showing some uh, some wherewithal to turn the ship around, especially with a young Drew Locke now in the mix playing, you know, it, you just don't know which way it could end for him after this season. John Elway has proven as a GM and the front office czars act that he is not opposed to firing a coordinator even after less than a year. I mean, he fired Mike McCoy after half a season. That's right. And he only gave Bill Musgrave one full season as offensive coordinator. So, you know, I hope he turns it around. If the Broncos could get to 30 points one time this year, I think that would probably be enough to completely save his job. Yeah, and, and Elway knows that he's pretty much leaving Locke's development in Scangarello's hands, and he doesn't want that to be muddied up. He he knows the egg on his face exists in the last couple of years. He does not want any external force like Scangarello or any other coach to mess with Drew Locke. So I'm interested to see what he says, but also the mailbag, Chad, our favorite pod of the week. Looking forward to it. Absolutely. Big thanks to John, to everyone who contributed, everyone, our yes. Super Chat donors, you, each one of you guys. I'm trying to go back up through the stream, and it won't let me – Uh, So I can't name each and every one of you until after the fact, but we will thank you individually on Twitter. You guys, we really appreciate you. And all of our questions and all of you who joined us here live, we appreciate you. We'll talk to you again same time tomorrow, 6 p.m. Mountain, 8 p.m. Eastern. For Zach Kelberman, I'm Chad Jensen. We'll talk to you then. You've been listening to the Huddle Up Podcast. Join Broncos Country's deep divers at milehighhuddle.com to keep the conversation going. Not long ago, everyone knew that you're either born a boy or girl. Not anymore. 
The Biden administration is pushing radical gender experiments on children, changing their names, clothes, identities, and bodies. Joe Biden and his left-wing allies pushed boys to take estrogen to appear more feminine. They pushed girls to take testosterone so they grow facial hair. Biden and progressive leaders promote puberty blockers to keep kids from developing to normal men and women. These drugs can leave you sterile, infertile, impotent. Joe Biden and the new left even promote surgery on teens and young adults, removing breasts and genitals. They want boys in our daughters' bathrooms and sports teams. And now, the Biden administration is planning to issue new rules that would force doctors to prescribe dangerous drugs and worse. Tell Joe Biden and left-wing leaders across America, hands off our kids. Paid for by America First Legal. Not long ago, everyone knew that you're either born a boy or a girl. Not anymore. The Biden administration is pushing radical gender experiments on children, changing their names, clothes, identities, and bodies. Joe Biden and his left-wing allies pushed boys to take estrogen to appear more feminine. They pushed girls to take testosterone so they grow facial hair. Biden and progressive leaders promote puberty blockers to keep kids from developing to normal men and women. These drugs can leave you sterile, infertile, impotent. Joe Biden and the new left even promote surgery on teens and young adults, removing breasts and genitals. They want boys in our daughters' bathrooms and sports teams. And now, the Biden administration is planning to issue new rules that would force doctors to prescribe dangerous drugs and worse. Tell Joe Biden and left-wing leaders across America, hands off our kids. Paid for by America First Legal.